1: Welcome to the Peter King podcast. I think this is my first Peter King podcast ever in Renton, Washington at the headquarters of the Seattle Seahawks, but it's fitting. This is the last stop on my training camp tour, 24 days, 18 teams. And I just thought kind of cool to do it on the practice field of the Seattle Seahawks. We got a really interesting podcast for you this week. We're going to start off from the dugout at Petco Park. No, I have not done uh, the Peter King Baseball Podcast, but I've always been fascinated by baseball players who love fantasy football. So I went down to Petco Park uh, late last week and interviewed Joe Musgrove, starting pitcher with the Padres, in the dugout. You'll hear from Joe Musgrove in a moment. And then you're going to hear from Brock Purdy of the 49ers, Dak Prescott of the Dallas Cowboys, and tackle David Bakhtiari of the Green Bay Packers in an NFC-packed Peter King podcast. So, before we get to that, I do want to give you two quick observations on my training camp trip so far. And... You know, look, everybody is optimistic in the summer. There's no question about that. But I sense particular optimism this year on teams that people are not really thinking a lot about right now. And I'll give you two of them. Number one, the Atlanta Falcons. I think the Falcons believe that there's no team better in their division than they are right now. And I think the Falcons right now are looking at this season as a real breakout year for an explosive offense. So I think they're going to be a little bit better than most people believe they are. Number two, the Seattle Seahawks. Look, the Seahawks are a really interesting team to me because, and I heard Greg Olson say this a Fox. He told Rich Eisen this, that this is the team that he thinks everybody is sleeping on. And when I came here, I didn't have a great idea of what to expect, but I found a team that believes, and they won't say this, they're not going to discuss this openly. It's almost sacrilegious. It kind of feels like it did 10, 11 years ago when the Legion of Boom was in its formative days. And they got so many good, young, versatile defensive players. And they've added to that in the first round a corner, Devin Witherspoon and an excellent underrated safety in Julian Love, I think the Seahawks are going to battle the 49ers for this division. And, you know, there's one other team that interests me, and really interests me. I know that everybody is talking about them, but I'm interested in the Detroit Lions, have been since the end of last year, when they won eight of the last ten. And... When I went to their training camp, the one thing I thought when I walked away is, and again, this is a cliche, I hate it sometimes. Dan Campbell is not going to allow them to be complacent. He's not going to allow them to do anything but, you know, play every play like it's their last. So those are three teams, I think, that are going to be interested. Coincidentally, they're all in the NFC because I think there is a lot of openings in the NFC for teams to rise to the top. We'll be talking a little bit more in the next two weeks, which are the last two podcasts we'll do before the start of the season, but I just wanted to give you a few thoughts on where the teams stand that I looked at and was really impressed with on this trip. So, let's get into our... a few of my interviews from the last few days. We're going to start in the dugout at Petco Park in San Diego, where we're going to find out about why Major League Baseball players are so into fantasy football. Here's my conversation with Joe Musgrove. Joe, welcome, and tell me about how big is the fantasy football draft with the San Diego Padres,
2: yeah, Peter. Thanks for having me. First off, yeah, um, yeah The fantasy, I mean, league wide, it's pretty big. I'd say with most guys in general, fantasy is like a big time of the year. It's for a lot of guys an excuse to get out and watch some football with their buddies and uh, have something forward, you know, to look forward to every week and, and kind of tap into the competitiveness and all the guys here, are obviously, extremely competitive. But you know, to to give us another sport where you got to tap into some some knowledge and some experience and you know, some ability to move rosters around. I think that's of the that guys will take a lot of pride in here. So it gets extremely competitive, um, and this team is definitely up there on that competitive side.
1: Tell me about your draft. When will it be? What's it like? What do you do for your draft?
2: Yeah, we, we've bounced around um, different years doing certain things. We've rented out uh, nightclubs to have, you know, isolated for ourselves and have a big draft there and a big draft party. Um, this year, I believe, we're doing it from the hotel in uh, Milwaukee, the Pfister um we'll be out there doing our draft in like the the banquet room we'll load it up. so in other
1: words you are you're on the road next
2: week right
1: and you're going to be in milwaukee yep what do you have an off day
2: we are off that day yeah
1: you have an off day so
2: it'll be like a big deal yeah so i'm sure a lot of guys will go out get an early round of golf in and then come home shower and start prepping for the draft
1: yeah yeah okay so like who's really serious about it on your team
2: Crony's very serious. Crony probably – Crony's done Jake probably Crony. a half dozen mock drafts in the last 12 hours <laughs> since we had our our, uh, our lottery to find out where everyone's picking. Um, Jake where takes are you it very picking serious. in the draft? I'm at the fourth spot this year, which I was saying. I looked at – I did some homework, and that's not a too favorable – not too favorable of a spot this year. But, yeah, um, yeah, man, you never know what guys are going to do. I'm hearing some of the things stirring around about guys taking guys earlier than they should go, and a lot of it's probably just tactics to, to get guys a little riled up and, and worry about their picks. But, um yeah, I got the four pick this year, so uh, not a terrible spot, but there's other ones I'd like more. How many years have
1: you been in a fantasy football league?
2: I've done fantasy football for a long time with my buddies from high school, and I never really took it all that serious back then. You're from kind of here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of just something fun that we did every year. We had like $50, $100 buy-ins or something, nothing too severe, and then you get to the big leagues, and guys want to talk about 1000 up to $5,000 buy-ins. you got to you know, dive into the numbers a little more and do a little more homework, so um, I've taken it a little more seriously over the past, you know, three, four, five years. Have you won? Have you won your league since you've been in the um, big leagues? Not, not our big league one. I've won my other one a couple times, but uh, not the big league one. That's that's the big money maker. My question is,
1: if you're, especially in September, if you're playing baseball, last year you're in the playoffs. Yeah. You got big games. Oh yeah. <laughs> are you are you really able to spend as much time as you would want to, you no. know, to
2: study it? You know, it's no, not really. It's hard. That's why you kind of you keep it as something fun and, and everyone finds their time to set rosters and stuff. But um, half of my season last year, I was in Antarctica uh, for about 10 days. It was a 14 day round trip. So uh, what did you do in weeks. Antarctica? I went down there with a buddy who runs guided tours down there and uh, we actually set a record for the fastest pitch on the continent of Antarctica. And wow, that was all kind of uh, a hype train to get people on on this trip. And, you know, Educated on Challenge Athlete Foundation, which is a group I've worked with in San Diego for the last handful of years, and they what is um, what is it exactly? Challenge Athlete doing? Foundation is um, it's a group in San Diego-based group that um, has raised over 150 million dollars to provide uh, prosthetics, travel expenses, um, you know, certain type of wheelchairs for wheelchair basketball and sports. But it's essentially a, a group that allows these athletes that are either born with limb deficiencies or have had accidents, you know, throughout their life that have caused them to have deficiencies in limbs or ability abilities taken away from them that the average athlete in a, in a regular professional sport would have. And they provide them the opportunity to continue to live out their dreams and, and their love for sports, um, you know, with some of these things that they provide for them. So wow. it's a great organization. But I went down there and we were gone for two weeks. So there was two weeks where I had no service and couldn't set rosters. So it gets difficult, but it's also, towards the end of the year, we look forward to a lot in San Diego. Being on the West Coast, you get 10 a.m. starts. So yeah. we all get to catch a full football game before we go out You know, on the field, and it's you know, a lot of trash talk, really competitive, and it really gets the juices flowing down the last month of the year. Yeah. Okay, so
1: give me your draft philosophy, and <laughs> because I, I don't play fantasy football, but I think it must be difficult. Now, because so many running backs are only part-time players. Coaches are using running backs a little bit differently. You don't have a guy carrying it 320 times
2: anymore. The old Zeke's, right? Yeah. 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 So what do you do... And what's your philosophy on building a team? I always like to try to grab the, you know, the the run pass backers, um, you know, the guys like Eckler, and I think with where I'm at at the fourth spot, I got a chance to grab him in that first round. Um, he's a Charger guy. I'm a San Diego Chargers diehard fan. I followed him up to L.A., so... Um, have I got you a, seen I got him up soft, at SoFi at all? Uh, I have. I've gone up to a handful of games. I'll be going up to a couple more this offseason, but... Um, I always have a soft spot for the Charger players, and Eckler's been a big producer over the last few years. But, yeah, those run-pass guys, and I feel like we're in the past, it used to be like very heavy running back picks in those first couple rounds. Um, You know, I went a little more wide receiver heavy the last few years and then used those pieces to trade them off where I felt like there was a handful of backs that were worth taking really, really early, and then you can let slide and get maybe a Miles Sanders or something a little later on in the fourth, fifth, and, you know, work from there. What do you think of B. John Robinson this year? I haven't seen too much on him. I haven't kept up with him much, but uh, I was talking to Bregman and some of the guys are in their bigger league. And Bregman took him pretty early on. He was pretty high. I think he got him at like three. Bregman with the with the Astros, yeah. they have a league. Yeah, that's yeah. like the that's the high rollers league. That's, it is. Tommy Pham, Peterson, uh, Trout. I think some of the Barstool guys are in there, but that's the big money league. And uh, I was talking to some of my buddies that are in that, and Bregman was saying that Bijan's his guy, and I think he yeah, I think he took him at three. So, wow. Well,
1: I don't know. You know, I'll say this. Arthur Smith, the coach of the Falcons, who I know he's got a lot of mouths to feed yeah. in Atlanta. He's got to get Cordero Patterson the ball, he's got to get Kyle Pitts the ball. He, I I love Bijan, but I'm not positive that he's going to be the Nirvana pick. I'd right. much rather have Eckler.
2: Especially with the way that Patterson's run the ball the last couple like yeah. last two seasons. He's been really hot, so yeah. Yeah. That's tough.
1: <laughs> and they also have Tyler Algiers, a thousand yard Algiers, back there. That's right, that's right. And so I don't know. But Look, I, I love the Falcons. I think they're going to be a really, really interesting team. Let me ask you two other things. So when the season, the baseball season ends, and so Xander Bogarts, I guess, goes home to Aruba or whatever. I mean, what? how do
2: you What do you do? Text and yeah, we got email? A, we got our, we got I mean, a, do
1: you make <laughs> trades and, and everything? Oh yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah.
2: We got our WhatsApp uh, group chat going, and that's just nonstop rolling. We'll start up a separate one once Fantasy starts up, and that's the trash talk. Uh, group chat
3: but everyone's everyone's (laughs) locked in it's not Uh, called the trash talk groups I don't know I
2: don't know we don't have a name for it but there'll be some (laughs) name for it Um, yeah but guys guys stay locked in we try to keep the integrity of the league you know intact to make sure everyone's setting lineups and you know not slacking off and making it a a true competition so everyone's engaged and everyone's locked in even when they go home
1: yeah Um,
2: two other things
1: that I was curious about are football players crazy about any other sports Other than football? I I mean, are baseball baseball. players? Yeah. I mean, like, is is there a fantasy basketball league? Is there fantasy golf? Golf
2: golf's probably the second biggest one. Um, Some of our clubbies in here, and then, like, Grisham's a big guy. That's in the golf stuff. Um, Stammen was a big guy. They do, like, a... I don't know if it's fantasy or, like, a fan duel or something, but they set lineups every week during that, during the golf season, and wow. they, they go at it every single week. So golf's probably the second biggest. I'm a huge UFC fan. Uh, we have a handful of guys in there that are really into, like, MMA and boxing and stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's probably golf and, and football are the top two.
1: Wow. Okay. Last thing. What do you think is the reason why – baseball players are so into fantasy football is it because everybody just watches football
2: anyway uh, I think it's it's probably people's ability to <laughs> I don't know how this comes off but people's ability to prove how you know how good they could be in that role because you know in baseball everyone's on a pretty even playing field we all understand the game really well uh, we know the players really well we know the ins and outs but you take a sport that everyone's always watched for fun and ask them to add a you know, a managerial or a GM-type perspective to it. Um, You know, you see which guys are really tapped into, you know, the importance and the intricacies of football. So um, some guys feel really, really confident in that area, and I think that's a chance for them to, you know, to get a little cocky and, you know, create some competition. But any competition that you put in front of an athlete, especially baseball players with this team, it's, you know, it's going to be competitive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, baseball is
1: really a hard sport to figure because at the beginning of this season I would have said – that the New York Mets and the San Diego Padres, one of those two teams is going to be in the World Series. And, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan. I have no idea how the Red Sox are over 500 right now. And so how do you figure baseball, really? Tell me, because I'd love to know.
2: It doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes, man. I mean, it's... It's a long season. It's grueling. Um, you know, injuries are a big part of that. You know, your roster can be as strong as it looks on paper in spring, and you come in, you could lose two, three of your biggest players, and, and really be set back. Um, and sometimes the ball doesn't go your way. I mean, we've had some really tough luck this year. Some of our peripheral numbers are in really good spots. We just haven't done a good job of winning the close games this year. You know, we've we've had a lot of blowout games, and then we lose all the one-run games. So. Um, you know, down the stretch of the season here when it gets to crunch time and you got your back into the wall, I feel like that's where this team, you know, really, you know, really takes off. So you never want to push it to this point in the year where, you know, you're forcing yourself to have to win games every night, but um, that's so what So you're saying like. it's not over for the pods? Absolutely not. Absolutely yeah. not. We're in, I mean, we'd like to be in a lot better position, but, you know, with, I think we're at four games, four and a half games out with around 40 games to go, um, it's definitely doable, so. We haven't played our best baseball this year and we're hoping that's coming down this stretch here. Our confidence is getting higher. We're starting to put together, you know, more quality games consecutively, which has been our thing. We'll go on a stretch of, you know, two, three really good games and then we seem to fall off for a handful and just haven't had much consistency this year. But it's a long year, man, and uh, you know, when it comes down to what it, it's all about getting in the postseason, it doesn't matter if you you get in by 15 games or by half a game. As long as you're in there, you got a chance and You know, when you get to the post and you see how it went last year, a team in the Dodgers that absolutely dominated us all year long, I think we won four games against them all year, Uh, we put them out uh, three in a row to to kick them out. So it's really about getting into the playoffs and giving yourself a chance, and then, you know, anything can happen from there. Anybody gets hot and goes on a little run.
1: So I got got to ask you my one selfish question. I'm a Red Sox fan, and I was really sad to see Bogarts go, so... How's Xander been for you, and uh, are you have you become good buddies with him?
2: Yeah, Xander's—he's uh, one of the best teammates I've had. Um, extremely engaging with everybody, not just the position players or the Latin guys. He's—he's uh, he's kind of the, the the mesh piece that everybody yeah. can go through to communicate and then to get it all. You know, there's a lot of guys have there's language barriers in here where things don't. You know, you're not able to express completely how you feel or share ideas, and Bogey's always right there, middleman in it. Yeah. Um, you know, the things he does on the field speak for themselves, but who he is off the field I think is, is a huge part of the value in getting a guy like that here. So I'm sure, you know, along with yourself, a lot of Boston fans are upset to see him go, but uh, we're extremely grateful to have him here. Joe Musgrove, thanks a lot
1: for talking to me about fantasy football in baseball. I, I, I've always been really, really curious about it because – Almost every team plays it, and it's just cool to hear how interested you guys are in football.
2: Yeah. you yeah. feel like a little kid again. It's fun, man. We enjoy it, and it's like you said, it's something that is away from something that we do on an everyday basis and allows you to tap into some other things outside of baseball and keep you sane down this last stretch of 162 games. So,
1: Joe, thanks a lot. And listen, we're going to be right back on the Peter King Podcast. We're going to be joined by Brock Purdy of the San Francisco 49ers. A bit newsworthy this year so we'll be back right after this
2: i'm glad i got to go first <laughs> That's a pleasure, man.
0: have you ever brought your magic to walt disney world like hey we came to play did you tip your tiara to a creole princess or get goofy officially when we come through it's true magic because we came to play at walt disney world resort Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. Ha! <sighs> Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango, it's your ticket to the movies.
1: Peter King at Niners training camp, Santa Clara, California, Levi's Stadium. I'm here with Brock Purdy, the starting quarterback of the Niners. And Brock, I want to ask you, let's go back to the NFC championship game. When you get hurt, you hurt your elbow. At the moment that you hurt your elbow, did you know that it was very serious? Or because you kept trying to play, did you think, that it wasn't as bad as it turned out to be
5: yeah um I think I knew right away you know there was like electricity fire all that kind of stuff was like shooting down my arm um felt like it was all numb
1: it was something that you never had felt 100
5: percent yeah and so I'm thinking to myself I'm like man um you know what do I do I, I couldn't really believe it at first it was more like hey yeah it's killing it's aching but I got to play through this somehow some way and then when I went to you know go and throw i was like yeah i i physically can't you know make a 10 yard throw on the sideline and so um that's when i was like yeah this is something that i've never been through before and i'm pretty sure something has, has been torn or somewhere i couldn't play so um it's the biggest game of your life
1: what's going through your mind at that moment
5: Yeah, um, sort of like what I said, I just couldn't believe it. And I was more, you know, sad for the guys, you know, that had helped get us there. You know, the guys obviously on offense, on defense, the guys that have been there forever. They've been through the 2019 Super Bowl loss. Um, So I'm thinking about those guys. It's like, man, I'm trying to play for them. And and then all of a sudden this happens. So that's when I went to Kyle and I was like, hey, you have to put in Josh because I can't throw. You know, I'm not tapping out or anything like that. What did he say? He's like, why? Like, you can't throw? And I was like, "I, I can't. Literally, like, something's wrong with my arm. And so we're on the sideline taping my arm up in all these, you know, different angles and directions, hoping that it would help, and it, it, it didn't. So it, it was a sucky situation. I
1: want to ask you about all of the that two-month period in your life. I was here for the game against Miami where you went in, and I remember asking you after the game that, hey, by the way, you – are going to start your first game in the NFL next week, and it's against Tom Brady. And I remember thinking at the time, not necessarily you're totally taking it in stride. You look very happy about it and and looking forward to the opportunity. But why wasn't what happened to you last year too big for you?
5: Yeah, I think, um, honestly, my faith. I feel like I was really rooted in my faith. I had a great, you know, family around me. And, um, you know, from day one being here, the organization, the coaches, the players, it's just a very, you know, uh, high class organization. Everything's well run from the top down. And so, um, for me, all I had to do is just play quarterback, do my job, do what Coach Shanahan has coached. Um, I have four years of, you know, experience in college as a starter. So I've seen a lot of defenses and stuff. And so when I got into the situation, I was like, you know what, you know, it's football. At the end of the day, it's football. I'm going to keep it simple. Um, I got awesome teammates around me. Um, all I got to do is distribute it to the right guys at the right time, let the defense play ball, and win. One question about after you got hurt.
1: You choose a surgeon who's uh, done a lot of baseball players with the Texas Rangers, and you go down to see him maybe a month, three weeks after you get injured. And he tells you that we're not ready to do this yet. And I imagine that you're feeling like, man, I got to get this done. I got to start throwing again. Do you remember what you were thinking that day when the surgeon tells you you can't get it done? And then just the wait to actually have the surgery.
5: Yeah. Um, my dad and I were just so, it's not that we were like mad, but we were just upset. Like, man, we wanted to get this done and get rolling, and we're thinking about, you know, next season obviously you I'm went down ready. to see him in texas yes yeah. yeah and so uh once we found out right then and there in texas you know doc was like hey it's too inflamed like we got to do more rehab get this inflammation to calm down and then have surgery um so once my dad and i were told no like we were i remember just being so upset in the moment like man we're never gonna be able to get this done i'm not gonna be back on time off stuff my dad was like you know what you know we're faithful people it's all god's timing he goes we just gotta have patience here it's, it's for the right thing. It's for your arm to calm down, and we got to do the surgery right for your career. And so, um, yeah, that's where we were at. We definitely remember that exact moment, how frustrated we were. But looking back on it, it was the right move. It was a great call by Dr. Meister. And, um, you know, here we are throwing again and feeling good. As I watched this practice, your first
1: practice where you practiced for a third day in a row and threw for a third day in a row, you looked to me, and again, look, I don't watch a lot of your practices. You looked absolutely normal. You made one throw to the left pylon to Debo Samuel that he dove for, that it was a perfect throw, thrown with a lot of velocity. Tell me how your arm feels now, and is it any different at all from before the surgery?
5: Yeah, it feels, it feels great, honestly. Um, you know, This was the first time we had a three-day block where I've thrown three days in a row and to be able to go out of practice and still make all the throws and with velocity on time um it's get, it gave me a lot of confidence and i'm really comfortable with where i'm at um and so I, we've had a great plan this whole time um all the you know doctors and physical therapists i'm working with everyone has aligned everything right to to be in this moment ready to go going into you know obviously the second preseason game and then game one um and so i feel good that's where i'm at and um i'm confident to To be ready to roll for this year. So little doubt in your mind you'll be ready to go opening
1: day. Correct. Yes, sir. The last thing I wanted to ask you is tell me what you see in yourself for year two. Now that you have been told you're the starter on this team, what do you think of having a full season, an off-season of preparedness, and then playing theoretically for a full year? How do you feel about that? What do you think you're going to be able to show this year?
5: Yeah, I feel like you know, just being able to take the next step in situational football. You know, Obviously, I, I showed that I can go in and manage the offense and you know, put a drive together, put up points on the board, win games. Um, and so for myself, it's like, how can I be the best in certain situations of football? You know, Going back to last year, watching some, some uh, moments where it's like, hey, man, you've know, you got to clean this up, you've got to be smart and uh, get the ball to the right guys on time, you know, check the ball down, throw the ball away. And grow. I feel like in, in those kind of areas, and so um, I feel like that's the next step for me. But at the same time, it's like, man, how can we win games? Do it consistently, and and push, you know, the, this offense and team to be, you know, the best versions of ourselves. And if we can do that, you know, the sky's the limit. Brock Purdy, good luck. Thanks, yes, sir. Thank you. My thanks to Brock Purdy. And before
1: we get to Dak Prescott, I want to explain the situation about where I was and how this happened. I interviewed Prescott uh, in the tunnel outside the Dallas locker room with screaming fans behind us, with music behind us. So you might be a little bit annoyed by some of the noise, but again, this is sports. You can't control everything. Here's Dak Prescott. Peter King here before the Cowboys-Seahawks preseason game here in Seattle. I'm with Dak Prescott, the Cowboys quarterback. And, Dak, I saw something this week from training camp where there was a little bit of a scrap at training camp, and you said we're not anybody's little brother anymore. Yeah. So you were kind of standing up for your guys. Why did you do that, and did you feel like your team needed that?
3: Uh, I mean, we, we encourage competition and competition at the highest level. Uh, it's iron sharpens iron every time our offense goes against our defense. We both believe that we have the best units, and so um, – when you've been having the training camp that we've had, uh, seeing each other over and over, not getting to do joint practices, some of us not even getting to play in the preseason games, emotions just get high and they rise. And so at this, that point, um, it just got a little out of hand, at the, and uh, you know, just kind of grabbing the guys and say, hey, we are, we are family. But you have to love that emotion. You have to love that passion. And we aren't anybody's little brother. I've got two older brothers. But uh, as we take this team, as, as, as we take this field as a team, um, we're doing it with a lot of confidence. And that's part of it, just kind of showing of us going against each other every day. So...
1: How much, if at all, do you relive how last season ended? It was a bitter loss for you guys sure. in San Francisco. Three minutes to go, you've got the ball, you threw an, an almost pick on first down, you missed Michael Gallup on second, you got sacked on third down. Yep. How much do you relive that, or do you just flush it?
3: No, I mean, I, I think you have to use your scars in that sense, and so to say I'm continuing to relive it, it's past me at this point, but in a, lot of, a lot of the offseason was about that, and uh, with Mike taking over as the play caller, we went into details. And sometimes, though there's three, there's those three plays, there's a lot of details in that that allow those three plays to not be successful. And uh, that's what we've really focused on this, this training camp and this spring, of cleaning that up, making sure receivers are on the same page, linemen are on the same page with my drops, and receivers understanding where they've got to be and when they've got to be. just So uh, op- operation just goes a whole lot smoother. So we're using the things that hurt us last year that are going to be our strength this year.
1: What would you say will be the biggest difference that maybe people will notice in Mike McCarthy being the play caller now instead of Kellen Moore?
3: Yeah, I don't know if you're going to be able to see much from the naked eye, but Mike's an aggressive play caller. Uh, We're searching for certain looks on defense, and if we get him, we're taking those shots, and if not, we're living to play another down. Uh, Just So getting the ball out of my hands, we've got as many playmakers as we have. Tony Pollard, uh, C.D. Lamb, Adam, Brandon Cooks, Michael Galbs, you said, a young group of tight ends and young rookies, uh, it's special. And so what we have to do is get these guys in space as much as we can, give them the opportunity to make big plays, and I think that's something that's going to show.
1: What has Brandon Cooks brought to this team this summer?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously the speed. Just the speed. You look at his resume, all the success he's had throughout his career, but more importantly, the leadership and the professionalism, how to take care of your body, how to approach the game. I think he's been... uh, amazing for guys like CD and guys like Michael Gallup just to take in and ask questions guy that's had a lot of success played in two Super Bowls didn't win but using once again his scars to bring to this team uh, to get us uh, to where we want to be
1: how much does it burn you that all the success you've had you've only had two playoff wins and does that drive you
3: yeah a thousand percent uh, I mean I want to win the Super Bowl and the only way to do that is to win playoff games and so uh, those two wins aren't going to be enough and it's not just going to get another one it's about uh, stringing three, three or four together to make sure that we're playing in the Super Bowl and winning what uh, we, we hold as our expectations and what all these fans have as our expectations, and that's the standard when you wear this star. And so uh, it's, a, it's a high standard, but we love it. We embrace it. And that's why we've got to lock in and just take it day by day and just make sure we're making the most of each day that we're blessed to have.
1: Are you a better team this year than the one that exited the playoffs last year?
3: By far. I really believe so. And just uh, the way that we've approached uh, the details offensively, what we've added with the guys, as well as just the defense is continuing to get better with those young guys, getting older, uh, becoming big-time playmakers. Uh, it's going to be a great year.
1: Dak Prescott, good luck. Appreciate it. Thank you, Peter. My thanks to Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott for their time in training camp. And now, before we get to David Bakhtiari of the Green Bay Packers, let's take a quick break on the Peter King Podcast.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play?
4: The smell of fresh popcorn welcomes you to a full-body experience while candies and sodas compete for your attention. Pick me! Pick me! Hoping to join you in the best seats you've reserved on Fandango. It's where movie lovers buy tickets, pick seats, and double up on rewards points all online. All that's left is to walk in, snack up, and sit back. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies.
1: Peter King here at Packers training camp in Green Bay with tackle David Bakhtiari. And David, I think everybody wants to know what's life like after Aaron Rodgers and you're very close to him. So what's it been like for you to come around here and not have him here anymore to uh, give you crap? <laughs> um, I mean, for me, the
6: worst thing about it is that I'm now the oldest guy in Long Standard. So before I could always lean on Grandpa Aaron so now that everyone looks at me like I'm the oldest guy, kind of sucks. Uh, no, but it's, it's been good. There's an injection of youth, a lot of fun. Um, you know, me and Aaron are really close, stay really close uh, still to this day. So, I mean, uh, an adjustment, but, I mean, that's,
1: that's a part of life. That's a part of this game. And, uh, you know, we're excited, looking forward. So when he left and now you are sort of the elder statesman, what has it been like adjusting to Jordan Love?
6: I think the the funnest thing for a tackle is being able to tell him like you got to throw him more on time <laughs> so uh, in other words you wouldn't tell
1: Rodgers anything really
6: I, like you, that you you hint on it a little yeah. bit but I mean that's a first bout Hall of Famer that guy kind of changed the game in uh, that position so you can't really tell that guy too much uh no I'm I, I think the biggest difference is uh you know Jordan's really green when it comes to this game uh things are still really new to him so going through certain mechanics that I know he's been understudy of Aaron for the last three years, so give him a couple things that I know that we've talked about through my tenure of working with him that's been effective, and then reminding him on a couple cues. But, I mean, uh, the thing I've been most impressed about with Jordan, and we had a lot of fun with it, is just seeing his command and his ability to – you can tell he fully understands the offense. His ability to check, his ability to add multiple cadences, his he's not stumbling over formations, and you know we're breaking the huddle with an uh, effective amount of time so we can manipulate at the line of scrimmage. It's been uh, – it's been
1: a new adjustment, but it's been it's been fun. You're incredibly young at the skill positions. You're gonna ha you might have three wide receivers who've been on this team for like eighteen months max. Your tight end could be brand new. Uh the draft pick this year. And I wonder what is that like in conjunction with playing a quarterback for the first time?
6: Um you know it's uh It's going to be new for a lot of guys a lot of guys haven't seen a lot of ball uh, in the regular season so I think with that it's I know there's going to be growing pains you know guys have to experience things again there's not too many times they've done two minute against an opposing team in front of you know 70,000 plus fans with how many millions of people watching uh, and streaming the game so the understanding how to calm your nerves in that moment is going to be an adjustment because you have a lot of guys so Uh, A lot of fresh new faces, so I think as we get rolling, seeing them acclimate and get used to it is going to be big. The other positive thing is you got a lot of young guys, so they're going to be fresh come you know week eight, week nine. Yeah. You know, I know my body starts getting a little bit a little bit rusted. They're going to be just they're going to kind of be hitting their stride. So that's the huge positive that I'm definitely looking forward to. And I better not hear them complain anything about their bodies going (laughs) throughout the year.
1: I I think. What, one of the things that's really interesting when you think about your team is that, so over the last 31 years, you've only had one standard. You know, you've had two top 10, 12, whatever quarterbacks of all yeah. time. Do you think that weighs on a guy like Jordan Love, or is he just, hey, I'm getting my chance, I'm going to do it? Or do you think he feels the weight of that?
6: I think uh, it would be – I'd be lying if I say if he didn't feel the weight. Yeah. Um, but I love how calm and how just relaxed he is. And the best part about it is this is a team sport. doesn't matter how good you are. One guy can't win the Super Bowl. It can yeah. definitely increase your chances. But you need – it's a collective unit of the team. It's the best team goes to the Super Bowl, not the best player. You know, there's not – too many times it almost was a little bit of a curse, the, you know, MVP – wasn't, you know, usually that guy, guy who's got knocked out before heading in the Super Bowl. It's the best collective team. So um, he's doing his 111th. We preach that all the time on offense. Just do your job. That's all yes. we need you to do. Um, right, and let us let the other 10 take care of their positions, and then we can be successful. But like I said, he's come in, been very relaxed. He's been understated for over three years. Now he's got his chance to shine. And I'm expecting him to, I'm expecting more than a standard of just like the first year or rookie quarterback, obviously, because he's going into his fourth year. He's, I think he's a little more polished than, Uh, you would think a first-year quarterback would
1: be. What's he like in the huddle?
6: Like I said, calm. And and the biggest thing for me in seeing his growth from when he got here is he's not fumbling over any any, uh, formations in the play call. Uh, And some of our play calls are way too long. Uh, His ability to manipulate the snap count is really big, and that, to me, is one of the biggest signs of uh, uh, of, of a more polished quarterback. Sometimes they just have so much going on that they can't add more onto their plate. So, I've, i remember pushing him when he was younger and in the times i would work with him to see him now it's been night and day and i'm i'm excited for him i'm excited for him to just go out there and just play just do your thing you don't have to be anything different other than yourself
1: two more things i want to ask you one thing about this franchise this franchise to me maybe along with like pittsburgh really exhibits tendencies of like being a continuum Okay, no one is going to be more important than keeping this team on track, hopefully for a long time. Two thousand eight, Favre goes, two thousand twenty-three, Aaron Rodgers goes. And I wonder you're in the middle of it and you see what happens around here. Is this the right way to build and to keep a great franchise going in your mind?
6: (laughs) Uh you want me to put my GM cap on? Yeah, I,
1: I really do. Um,
6: that's tough because, I mean, I hope so. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a part of the ship. I'm still here. I want to win championships. I still haven't gotten my Super Bowl ring yet. So, uh, for me, yeah, I, I certainly hope so because it would be great one day. we are going to be talking. I might have to pull out my Super Bowl ring then. Yeah. And that means it was right.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about you for a minute and about – how ready you feel you are you know after some health issues knee issues how ready do you feel this year to play a full season
6: I mean this year is definitely night and day compared to last year how so uh, I was uh, just trying not to drown is the best way to put it uh, a lot of times I felt like I was going into games with like one hand you know strapped behind my back with
1: having... just really never felt right that and
6: then having so many compounded surgeries yeah. right before season, not a chance. I always look at the off season, that's the ability for you to put on armor, you know, build up strength to endure the season. I never even got those opportunities. I just as soon, you know, from when I tore my knee right the you know, New Year's Eve of twenty twenty, I always was showing up to the start of season, transitioning straight from, you know, physical therapy to football. And for anyone who knows going through knee yeah. injuries is you know, football isn't part of the therapy program. <laughs> so, you know, finally to have an offseason, not able to do that, build strength up, and then be able to come out here, its it definitely feels night and day. Uh, you know, no, never not out of the woods yet. And I think, you know, what I appreciate most is that the organization and I are on the same page. Uh, we're not going to beat me up. We're going to use myself when needed. You know, I've played a lot of balls, so I can have a lot to lean on. And I think right there it's just knocking the rust off and staying sharp and staying available uh, on game days.
1: David Bakhtieri, good luck. Hope you... Line up 17 times. I hope you start a Joe Thomas streak. I, you know what? Before <laughs> y'all let you, all say this. Yeah, I definitely was trying <laughs> until 2015. What did you? What? What? What did you get to? Do you the remember? First
6: game I missed was 2015, week 14 or 15. So I played three years or two and a half up to three years, started every game. So I was up to 47 something, 40 something starts, and then I remember I pretty much broke my ankle without breaking my ankle. you know. Right. Tore five ligaments, widened my ankle, sit his tears halfway up my shin. And I sat there, I'm like, I tried to play so hard in that game against Arizona. I'm like, ah, there's no way. Yeah. And that, after that, I was like, well, there goes the streak of trying to match anybody. So now i just going to play when I can play. <laughs>
1: how, about, how about Joe Thomas playing all those plays in a row and playing them? Of the 371 players in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Joe Thomas has the lowest winning percentage of the teams he was on of anyone. So, in other words, there probably were times where he could have said, mm-hmm. you know, you're 2-13 at the end of 100%. the year. You probably could have said, listen, I've got this, 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 and this, and he never did.
6: And, and, and you don't understand how frequent that is, and even coaches just pulling out players when they're getting blown out, which I know he was in plenty of law games for him to stay in there with his, you know, revolving door at quarterback. Uh, it's a 20, 20 quarterbacks. It's a testament to him <laughs> as his character and him as a teammate. Uh, he's someone I looked up to coming in the league. He was a phenomenal player, set the tone and the standard in my eyes of what it means to be a pass-blocking left tackle, Help revolutionize the position of letting more athletic, smaller uh, tackles like him. I remember Joe Staley was another one that pops in my mind to play the position and thrive in the position uh, and kind of change the game a little bit uh, at that left tackle spot. And that was something that... I, I'm, you know, saying I'm even proud of him. It makes it weird. Now, I mean, I, I'm I'm honored that I was able to share a field with him. I'm so like, happy and excited for him, and I bet he's just, I mean, bliss. And hopefully, he's somewhere on a boat fishing, kind of how he started his career.
1: Well, uh, one other thing. So, when you watch Joe Thomas, are you the kind of person who, when you watch a game, you'll watch the left tackle? And if you ever watch Joe Thomas much, what did you learn? Uh.
6: I mean, he's got a shot-put uh, kick set is one of the things. His get-off. I always remember when I was coming to the league.
1: Give me the shot-put kick set. Do it. <laughs> just do it. I mean, i
4: doing
6: Joe Thomas. Yeah. So he was kind of like this. Yeah. And then his ability just to fire out. Oh. Was very, very unique. Um, I like to say every player's got to find their own standard. I mean, people can talk about my, my set is like in a – very unique it's I'd say it's an abomination that I've watched about four (laughs) different or Frankenstein of about four or five different tackles I've kind of put together but I looked at the best tackles when I got in the league and saw what they were doing and then just tried to emulate and bring it to my game but understand that I'm not built like them but try to uh how can I do what they do without having the certain tools that they have so who else did
1: you borrow from your set
6: I remember I mean Jason Peters I watched him I watched Joe Staley I watched Tyron Smith and I watched Joe Thomas a lot um, Brian Balaga was my right tackle. He helped me out a bunch. That was the first person. I could see that every day. But, like, strictly just talking film. Uh, watched a little uh, Chad Clifton. Yeah. Um, but I would say those were the prime tackles I, I watched uh, right when I came in the league my first year.
1: Yeah. Hey, this is a fun talk. Thanks a lot, it was. David. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah. Okay.
6: Thank you. Suck it, Josh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Suck it. Down. My thanks to David Bakhtiari and also to Joe Musgrove, Brock Purdy, and Dak Prescott for taking the time to talk this week. So I'll head home in a little while from Seattle, and I'll head home with one thought about this time of year. It's my favorite time of the year. The reason that I love training camp time is that you come to a place like Seattle, and you sit down and have a real conversation with Geno Smith for 20, 25 minutes. You sit down for 15 minutes with Pete Carroll to kind of find out the real out here in Seattle. And then meet up with somebody who I've been interviewing for a decade, Bobby Wagner, who's really a player I admire so much. Just because when you think of Bobby Wagner, you think about a guy, well, didn't he leave here? to go to the Rams yes but he never burned a bridge and Saturday night at the Seattle Dallas preseason game I was at Lumen Field and they introduced the defense of the Seattle Seahawks now mind you this is a preseason game and when Bobby Wagner was introduced the roof came off that place even though the roof was open that day but everyone just loves Bobby Wagner and you know why he didn't burn a bridge on his way out of town last year. He came back this year, and the Seahawks fans are grateful that he did. A really good story getting, get, getting written up in Seattle, and we'll see if they can challenge the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's going to be a really, really good race in the NFC West. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Peter King Podcast. I appreciate you listening, experiencing and commenting on our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next week.